Hello, my friend, and welcome to the 510th episode of the Sales Podcast. I'm Wes Schaefer, the Sales Whisperer, your host. Today, we've got a cool dude, Jeff Putnam. He has motivated me to grow out the beard. So we shall see how long this lasts. But he's got great products for that. And we get into his story of how this blue-collar guy working in a factory looked around at what was happening and said, hey, I don't know if I like the path that I'm on. Uh, and he figured out a new path. He plotted his own way uh, by grit, determination. Uh, we get into his trial and error um, and how he made it happen. And he's made a lot of things happen uh, in a relatively short amount of time. I, I found him on Twitter. Uh, he's got a whole bunch of kids. Uh, he's written some books. He's writing more books. We get into all of that uh, and more. So uh, you are in for a treat. Uh, you may notice some ads being sprinkled in here. I have changed podcast hosts. I'm using a platform called uh, Red Circle. So they uh, will insert some ads here and there. Uh, but man, things have just literally blown up in the month of June. Uh, I've gotten several sponsors. Um, it's been quite fun. Um, but uh, along those lines, you know, understand, look, ads are... Uh, bittersweet, huh? They're a necessary evil. Um, but I do try to bring good ones on, uh, good technology platforms. I also host the CRM Sushi podcast uh, where I dive in to different platforms. Uh, I'm publishing one uh, along with this one with Jeff uh, over on the CRM Sushi side of things about email analytics, uh, looking internally at how your team is using email um, I've, you may have noticed Clavio, uh, an interesting email marketing solution that's quite affordable. Email analytics is quite affordable. Um, I've gotten uh, some other sponsors as well. Sometimes app, uh, Red, what are they called? Red Circle. <laughs> they will just insert into the episode where they think it's appropriate uh, using technology to insert the ad at a good spot. So, look, you know, the beauty of podcasts is that they're free. Uh, if you don't like the ads, you can skip, you know, fast forward. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I'm torn. Some I do listen to because I am in the sales and marketing arena, right? I try to study and analyze what's going on out there to see what's working. Um, also, you know, I'll learn something new, maybe go try something. There are some good shows should have good ads, uh, that highlight, you know, make you aware of good tools that you can use. So, you know, take a listen. Obviously, if you hear them a few times, if you're already using the, the tools that I recommend, uh, fast forward, um, but share them, okay? Share, I'm going to mention a link here, uh, the one I'm talking about uh, right now, and you'll hear me insert it later, uh, is a platform called Vidyard. Uh, it's a video platform. Um, it's, it's easy to use. It integrates with HubSpot. Um, it can be an alternative for you for things like Loom or uh, Vimeo or, you know, things like that. Um, you can insert, create videos, insert them uh, into your email. Okay. Um, there's a lot of emails are terrible. Uh, video is engaging, right? We are in an edutainment world. Uh, so use video to capture the attention of your prospects, to stand out, to put a face to the name. Okay. You can share video with your teams. I use videos for my podcast production. I've got folders, uh, with video instructions. Uh, I use, uh, 
my team is literally global. I've got people in, in Florida. I've got people in Arizona, uh, people in the Philippines, people in India, Pakistan. I mean, they're all over. So um, who knows when they're going to come online. Uh, some of these teams change over. Okay, staff is replaced. Having folders with your video content um, is a good thing you know, with your instructions. Okay, so uh, embrace video. In, in my six-week training program, I just concluded it with the company, and we're doing it again for the next batch of 20, 20 or so customers or partners. Um, I spent, one of the weeks is spent on using video. Okay, uh, you've got to stand out. Uh, you've got to cut through the clutter. Okay, if, if you're not different at every step along the way, um, then the only way for your prospects to differentiate is on price. And that's a race to the bottom. Okay, uh, so give Vidyard a try. Uh, they've created a link for us, vidyard.com slash whisper. Okay, and it's V-I-D-Y-A-R-D. It's like, it sounds like video yard, but it's vidyard.com slash whisper. Um, you get a, a totally free trial, okay? And as a bonus, you'll get their uh, high conversion virtual sales playbook. So go get you some, all right? Vidyard.com slash whisper. Now, let's bring on the bearded one, Jeff. Jeff Putnam, author of Empire Divided and the Perimeter, one of the few guests that have more kids than me. Welcome to the sales podcast, man. How the heck are you? Man, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Um, fellow Southerner. I grew up in Baton Rouge and then Houston. So um, I appreciate you coming on. I um, I saw you on Twitter. I don't even know how I ran across you, but you there was some kind of post. Like, what? Uh, you're like 35. Is that right? Yeah. It was something like, you know, I'm 35, nine kids, two books, hitting the gym. Like, what's your excuse? I was like, Oh, holy hell. Who's this guy? <laughs> so thanks for leading by example. Hey, it's all we can do, right? You got to be the change you want to see in everybody else. Yeah, but not everybody does it. You know, they they talk to the talk. Uh, they don't walk the walk. You know, what's um, so our listeners, you know, may not know who you are. Uh, what I mean, what brought this about? You know, were, were, were you an investment banker uh, wearing uh, penny loafers and dockers and, uh, and just had a change of heart? Uh, were you a prisoner and, and broke out and changed your name and, and lived free? Like, what's, what's going on, man? What's your history? Uh, I'm blue collar through and through. I've been, I've done everything between uh, project management with construction, uh, rebar fabrication, at one point in time, I was swinging a sledgehammer, uh, making 56 bucks a day, breaking concrete uh, in the desert to recycle into gravel. Mm. Um, I started my my flagship company, Rugged Legacy Grooming Supply, uh, back in 2019. Uh, I was working at a factory where we made the seats uh, for BMW and for Volvo. And a couple of guys were just walking down on the dock one day, and I looked at them and I I kind of overheard their conversation talking about how they'd been there for 30 years. And I thought, Holy God, I, I can't, I can't be here for, you know, at that point, I think I'd been there for 
three and a half, four years. I'm like, I can't do another 25, 26 years in this place. Like I can't. Uh, so I just started looking at what I could do to start a business and always had long hair, always had a beard, but I could never find any products that I liked at the big box stores. And so I had, you know, gone on Google and, and Pinterest and looked up different recipes for the homemade stuff. And I got really good at making them and people were always asking me, and that smells incredible. Oh man, how do you make your beard do that? And, uh, uh, uh just stuff I make at the house. And so they, I just kind of ran with that idea and I started uh, a small website that I'd made on Wix. It looked like a blind two-year-old made it. Uh, <laughs> but that's why I joined Twitter uh, back in January, 2019 was to get free promotion on my business. You know, it's tweets go everywhere. So if I can just spam the heck out of it uh, with links to my store and the upcoming business and all this other, you know, I might get some clicks. Well, it took off and then, it took off better than expected uh, to where I couldn't keep up making it myself, ruining my wife's pots and pans in the kitchen. <laughs> and uh, I ended up having to set up a contract deal with a manufacturer, a third-party logistics company. Uh, and then now two years, a little over two and a half years later, I'm completely hands off from the business. It runs itself. I have a team in Utah uh, that makes and ships and takes care of everything. So, it was uh, probably that flash in the pan. If I didn't jump on it when I did, I would still be trying to struggle and build it because I know I'm definitely the exception to the rule when it comes to businesses working out the first time around. Right. Uh, but it did. And then I got bored as I started getting further and further away from being involved in the company. So I branched out in some other things. I started, uh, I do some online coaching uh, with uh, potential entrepreneurs and people who want to start learning, you know, online money, things like that. So I do that. I've got several clients that sustain my lifestyle uh, now, and then I was still bored with that. And so I launched a podcast. I had some really cool guests come on there. I got bored with that. So I launched a different podcast and the different podcast came out. Uh, the second podcast, uh, it's called the perimeter. It uh, came out, uh, right about the time I finished my second book, uh, it was January 1st when I started writing my first book and I had it on Amazon by the end of February. And then I wrote the second book. It was just released on the first of this month, June. And now I'm writing a third and hopefully that'll keep me busy for a while. I, I won't get bored and need to jump into something else. <laughs> um, so, all right. So a lot to unpack here. Because a lot of people are very good at making excuses. Um, oh, I'm just a blue-collar guy. I, I don't understand this technology. Uh, I don't understand online sales. Who am I to start a podcast? Who am I to write a book? Um, you know, how did you overcome that? Was it, was it like you know, fear or, or disgust, you know, dread of, of those 30-year guys and going, Okay, I may not know what I want to be, but I know what I don't want to be. You know, would would you say you were moving towards something in the beginning or more maybe you were just moving away from something and then and slowly found your way? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, as far as overcoming it, I just had to make the point to myself that, and I remember the conversation distinctly with my wife, 
I'm going to try this. And I'm, since I'm slow, I'm not all that bright. I barely graduated high school. I dropped out of college. I'm going to give myself 10 years to figure it out as I go. And I figure that's a decent enough grace period. If I can't make it work in 10 years, I definitely don't deserve it. And I'll just be content to stay here at the factory forever uh, because I gave it a shot. But I guess going into it, it was more of a, um, this will either work or it won't. And it, and it definitely won't work if I don't give it a shot anyway. Well, the old, uh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, huh? Yeah. Like Gretzky's kid, you know, that's one of Gretzky's famous quotes right there. Um, and so when you say make it work, it, it was the, the grooming products or did you, or just being an entrepreneur in general, just being an entrepreneur in general. And so you, you're working at a factory, right? But so when you say to make it work, was it like, Hey, I must spend two hours a night, you know, tinkering or I mean like what? Cause you didn't make like a big shift right away. I mean, you didn't quit your job and jump in. You were, would you consider yourself a dabbler or would you like still fanatic on the side, you know, basically investing all of your free time on trying to make it work. Right. So, I mean, did you dabble in it or did you jump into it? Oh, I, there was no dabbling. I had to go all in it with everything I had. Um, I took every last dime out of our savings to get it started. Uh, my, I remember the day I paid that very first invoice for everything that was the final one between the business license, the, the, the website, um, you know, just everything, you know, paid the graphic designer for uh, the logos and the um, little Pantone files that came with everything that I needed. Uh, I remember my wife saying, just don't tell me when you click pay because I want to throw up. But this was, I mean, you were, you were making this stuff on your own. For, you were making it for yourself, yeah. right? And then enough people asked you about it, you know. So when you say you you wrote, you know, you wrote this check to all of your savings, uh, I mean, you already had some demand though, right? Were you making sales like one off, like hey, I would just make you some some stuff and sell you a jar or, or what? No, uh, my idea was it's not real if I sell to anyone I know. If I can convince a complete stranger to buy it that doesn't know me, has never heard of me, but just sees it on the, the website online and goes, yeah, I'll buy that, then it's real. So I made it a point uh, for uh, as long as I possibly could that no one that I knew was going to get the link to my website. It had to be someone that I've never heard of that's never heard of me be the first person to buy it because otherwise it could be, you know, like one of those, Oh, uh, I, I recorded an album and my mom bought 3,500 copies of my CD. <laughs> you know, it's not real. Sure. And so that's, I just wanted to make sure that it was legitimate. It was going to be uh, something that people actually wanted. All right. So I'm just, I'm trying to unpack this, right? I don't want people to have any excuse. Um, you so you you've made something on your own for yourself some people are uh, were friends and family were you selling it to them like here and there uh, no the very first one that i ever sold was to a complete stranger in new york city online okay 
So you're making this on your own. Uh, people are complimenting you on it. You think, all right, maybe there's something here. You know, did you, did you like make, make your website first? Like, did, did you do a few things on your own for a week or a month or a year and then write the big check? Or did you go, okay, I'm, I need a website. I need e-commerce. I need product fulfillment, blah, blah, blah. Like here's all the money. And then you launched. Yeah. I paid for everything up front. You know, the business license, the subscription to, you know, Wix uh, business that they had. I bought the, uh, the business mailbox and all that other. Um, I paid a load of money to a graphic designer uh, that, he was living in Berlin, but we went to high school together. We grew up together. He just moved oh. over there as an expat. Um, so I'd known him for probably 20 years. And I was interested in uh, a lot of the work that he had done. He had a very nice portfolio. Um, but I was like, I'm just, I have to do it all myself because I can't afford to pay other people. Right. And I'm still working, you know, seven o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock in the evening, five, six days a week at this job. Mm-hmm. And so before work, I've got my laptop you know, in front of me after work, I've got my laptop in front of me. Uh, I'm making it all as fast as I can while I'm off work. And then I go to work. Orders would come in on the website. I'd text my wife, Hey, check the site. Orders came in. She would pack it. I would come home on my lunch break, pick up the box. Cause a lot of the money went from, you know, uh, bulk shipping supplies and a uh, shipping label and a uh, stamps.com and you know, all this other. And she would pack up all the orders and I had a big old huge deck of handwritten thank you cards and she would put one in each, seal it, pack it, print out the labels, mark it fulfilled, insert the tracking number on the website for me. I'd come home on lunch, pick up the big cardboard box full of them, stop at the post office on the way back to work, shove them all in the box and then uh, go back to work. She would be packing more orders uh, while I was still at work and then I'd come home make more, pack more. Uh, Cause I mean, I wouldn't make pack the ones I made that day. They were the ones that had been there, but as I'm selling them and getting rid of them, I'm just basically playing keep up. Right. And that went on for probably six months. Okay. And it was, I started realizing, you know, I've got a pretty good uh, thing going here. I need, and I can't keep up. Cause I'd made like 300 units when I launched pre-orders on March 10th of 2019. And then March 23rd or 24th, I believe it was, uh, I realized that I had pre-orders for about 315. Like, Oh, so yeah. How, how did you market that on that pre-launch, the pre-order? How did you, how did you get those? I just tweeted like crazy. That's all I did. I was just tweeting out content, interacting with, you know, like bigger accounts. I knew nothing about Twitter. I'd never had a Twitter account before. Um, I had a Facebook account, which had maybe 50 friends that I knew growing up and relatives and all that other, but I'd never done like anything big on social media. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I just started tweeting, Hey, you know, a, a lot of it was uh, based around the virtues and the ideals of uh, positive masculinity. Cause it was kind of, perfectly timed with the Gillette PNG thing of toxic masculinity and that ad. Mm -hmm. So I centered the culture and the identity and the ethos of my company of rugged legacy as the antithesis of what 
PNG was touting as, you know, men are bad, da 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 da. I'm like, basically, it was, hey, if you don't like Gillette, screw them, buy from me. Real men don't need to shave anyway, you know, that kind of stuff. And it, it was in that perfect moment in time when that was, you know, very popular. Right. Now, I didn't do it just because uh, I knew that that would be popular. I, then and now, I still believe very much in all that. I'm, a, I'm an advocate for, you know, men behaving like men and being men and being good fathers and being good husbands and things like that. But I realized there was a gap in the market for a company that was proud to say those things. Right. And people would follow that and people would identify with that. And the people that did identify with it would be my customer base. And the ones that didn't would be that whole, uh, you know, negative press is still good press. You're going to hate me, but people are still going to find it because you're crying about it. <laughs> uh, and it, it just kind of worked out all that way. But when I started realizing I can't keep up and keep my job, but I'm not making enough to quit my job i had to spend a decent amount of money with the manufacturer so they could make it and it was back and forth with their chemist and the ingredients list and where they could source them from and how quickly they could fulfill and so forth and so on but i finally got all that squared away in november of 2019 so how how did you even know to do this Right. Is it a bunch of YouTube, Google searches? Uh, asking I Googled everything that I know and what I didn't know. I just uh, tried something. And if it didn't work, I'll try something else. And if it did work, I'll just keep doing it because right? I'm not business minded at all. I'm not um, I'm not tech savvy. I mean, I can run a cell phone or a smartphone and podcast and edit videos and stuff like that. But because of just trying as I go, well, that didn't work. Let me try this instead. That's how I got there. I, I, I've got no experience working in the tech field whatsoever. So, I mean, I can build you a house, but I can't, you know, reset your router without pulling up Google. <laughs> hey, that's cool. Seems to be working. I mean, um, it's working so, good so far. <laughs> so, so you started outsourcing some of the manufacturing. Who was the first person you hired? I mean, I know you've got an outsourced team now in Utah. And you know, do you have any employees right now? I have a, a, a team that I keep. Uh, it's kind of like leasing labor almost. I have a the contract with the manufacturer where they make other people's products too. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are a certain uh, number of their employees that are basically just report to me mm -hmm. and they handle everything that I need. And then I've got some uh, customer service VA people. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, how, so basically you've been going now a year and a half, well, two, two years since your pre-orders, right? So it was March, 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, you hit your stride by November uh, and then COVID hits. Um, did were you small enough that, you know, you, you could still grow? Um, did, you, did you have any kind of hiccup with that? Now, the only thing that COVID uh, had any effect on uh, was my ability to get uh, bottles because everybody was buying them and all these companies. I even had companies, you know, email me asking if I could sell them bottles for hand sanitizer and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, all of our stuff, it comes in these amber bottles because it's made with essential oils, all natural ingredients. And the amber bottles preserve those much better than clear bottles because it blocks out a lot of the UV light that people right. would, you know, have coming in through their bathroom window and things like that. Um, and I had to switch to cobalt blue bottles for a little while. But that's really the only hiccup that COVID threw at us because, I mean, they're in Utah. Utah is probably one of the most based states out there. They do not care. Mm. And uh, there was the uh, the shutdown order, and we just said all in one big consensus, no, we're not going to shut down. These the, the, the people who need, who need a paycheck don't want to shut down. I don't want to shut down, so we're not going to shut down. And that was pretty much how it went. Um, so walk me through back in the beginning. You know, is your wife telling you, your beard's too rough, it doesn't smell good, fix it? Or was it you, right? I, I need to know this, man. I, I need, you know... I, I need you to get my wife to let me grow the beard, man. Okay. I need, I, how did you do this? And how'd you start <laughs> cooking up ingredients and testing it? <laughs> well, you know, the ingredient part, that just came from Googling it, how to make your own beard balm, how to make your own beard oil. Right. Yeah, and, nice. and I just started playing around with the essential oils in the sense, cause there's a wholesale place not far from here. But uh, as far as, you know, your wife letting you grow the beard, just remind her it's not her face. <laughs> Look, man, I'm going to have to turn off the recording. We're going to have a conversation because there's some things I could say. Hey, uh, how, after well, three I, weeks, told, I told I told my wife, I said, look, if you don't like the beard, don't look at it. You know, <laughs> eventually it'll grow on you just as much as it's growing on me. You know, uh, and I told her, I said, you know, she's like, oh, I hate your beard. You'll learn to like it. I want my beard. You know, you'll <laughs> learn to like it. And uh, and it. It's a, it's kind of a running joke, but I always remind her, I said, you know, if you were the type of woman that would have left me because I didn't shave my beard, you were the wrong woman anyway. Good point. And she just looks at me like, I'm going to hit you. But, you know, we've been together, you know, quite a while, you know, nine kids. Um, our 17 year old son shipped off on the first of this month to army basic training, um, She's been there with me through the thick, through the thin, uh, through our, our brief uh, bout with homelessness, you know, when we're living in a motel because it, we lost everything because of some stupid career decisions I made. Um, she stuck with me through that, so I figured she'd stick with me through a hairy face. <laughs> Good point. Maybe it's me. Maybe, maybe I'm projecting. I don't know, after three weeks, man, I don't know. It gets to that sticky, sweaty, wet point, and I'm like, I'm cutting this thing. But anyway, I don't know. Just not tough enough. I'll get there, man. I'm working on. I'm drinking milk. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there one day. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Actually, I'm not drinking milk. It's an old commercial. Come on, it makes your body, you know, coagulate. But um, <laughs> what? So what led to the book? I think it started with uh, I Googled somewhere back when I was, you know, still kind of getting rugged legacy off the ground that uh, a great way to get free traffic is blogs and things like that. And I wanted to, you know, write about things that were related to the culture of the company and that people could identify with, you know, and I'd, I'd followed, you know, what is it? Um, uh, the art of manliness read their blogs, uh, Order of Man, 
his blog with Ryan Mickler, who ended up being a, a friend of mine now. Um, Jack Donovan, also a friend of mine. Uh, I've read all of his books. And I've always, when, even when I was a kid, I wanted to be that, that travel writer. I just travel all over the world and have that sexy Hemingway thing going where I'm just sitting with the machine gun on a boat off the coast of Cuba, writing a book and cussing at seagulls. You know, I wanted to be that guy. And that didn't come to fruition, but uh, I, I've always liked writing. And I've written several small ebooks. Um, I ghost written some blogs and some emails for other people. And uh, I don't know, with the way things are going culturally uh, in society, I felt like I had a lot to say, but I needed a place where I could say it all in one spot. So I just sat down and started writing. And I'd made that decision in December of 2020. I said, uh, in 2021, I'm going to have a book on paperback for sale. And I started writing it at the beginning of 2021. And now here at June 1st, I have two paperbacks uh, and Kindle books on Amazon. I'm writing a third, which this third one is getting, I don't know, this one is going to be uh, probably a very long process. It, like, it hurts to write it. <laughs> it's that point. Um, but yeah, I just, I had a lot to say. And so I had to have somewhere to say it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that with all writers, I got something to say. I need to say it. Yeah. Uh, when do you write? I usually write when I get back from the gym and that I come back home from the gym about 5 a.m. Okay. For an hour, do you have a set number? I'm going to write a thousand words. Do you write till you lose the inspiration? Well, usually I don't worry about inspiration and I don't worry about motivation. I just have to get the word vomit onto the page and it doesn't have to look good as long as it's there. I can go back through on the 14 edits uh, and then make it prettier. But I have a goal every day of no less than 1,000 words. And sometimes I can sit down and pound out 6,000 words. But typically I'll write from the time I get home from the gym to maybe 7, 7.30 in the morning. I just sit there on my patio, tiki torches lit, smoke my pipe, drink some coffee, and write. Uh, who does your editing? Uh, I've gone through a couple of private guys. Um, I've done everything from sending it to my other author buddies to editing it myself to where I'm running it through Grammarly. Okay, that worked. And then I run it through Hemingway app. Okay, that worked. And then I read through it again. And then I send it off to someone else. It's just a back and forth thing. I'm still, I want to do my writing very much like I did Rugged Legacy, do it as much as I can by myself until I can't anymore. You know, I mean, I outsource the cover design and the formatting and all that other, but as much as I can do by myself, uh, and maybe this is like an artistic thing, you know, I, it's not mine anymore if someone else touches it. Yep. I'm saying it's just the way it is. Yep. I'm the same way. Um, so, so then you, you jumped into podcast and the podcast. Um, some people would say, you know, you, you got to stick with it, you know, too much bouncing around it. You, you're, you're not getting momentum. You're not, you're not diving deep. Um, but, uh, Sounds like we're a lot alike. I mean, I, I got to jump in and start doing like, okay. I mean, I, I literally told a guy yesterday who's considering some CRM software. And I'm like, dude, you got to write this stuff down, what you need. 
And even if you buy the quote unquote wrong tool up front, all the planning and the preparation, everything you're doing is going to pay off. Uh, even if you have to switch, you know, but it's like, I'm not going to let you buy the absolute wrong tool. You know, it'll be a little tweak and then you're on, you're off and running, you know? So would you consider those stops and starts? Is that just how you are? You just got to do it. You know, well, no, I, there haven't been any stops. I, I, I never stopped doing any of the things. Okay, um, you just add it on. I just add it on. Okay. Uh, just trying to secure as much digital real estate as I can, you know, how do you know if you're if you're spreading yourself too thin? I'll know when I get there. <laughs> I haven't reached that point yet. Sure. Uh, you know, I still write every single day. I've added on YouTube to the uh, podcast, so where now I just run the podcast show live, and then I'll just uh, download the audio from it, upload that onto the audio only format, mm-hmm. which it's on iTunes. Um, Spotify, uh, uh, was it, uh, Stitcher, all of them, pretty much every major podcast platform. I've got all the RSS feeds set up for all of those. Um, but yeah, I get bored when things get easy. So I have to add something else to do. Right. And it, it, when I add it, it doesn't take off anything else. You know, I still very much, um, handle the administrative and overall, uh, oversight of rugged legacy, but I'm just not you know, involved in, uh, we're going to make this and you're going to do this and you're going to email this customer. I don't do any of that anymore. And, you know, still writing, I still have, uh, have my clients that I coach every single week. Um, the blog is still going, I'm starting to kind of get into some photography stuff now. Um, just because I've always kind of been interested in it still writing, like I said, still writing the books. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Did you start the podcast and the books and coaching? I mean, does that feed into rugged legacy? Like you had this grand plan where things are cross promoting or was it, you know, Hey, I just want to do this to, to get the word out, you know, because you mentioned you've got coaching now and I don't know if you'll sell sponsorship on your podcast, right? Are you trying to create multiple streams of income? Are you, you have a bigger plan beyond all of this? Or are you just going with the flow and, and monetizing things separately if, if it presents itself? Well, I'm a big proponent of trying to pay things forward. And so when people were congratulating me on my success, you know, I definitely want to see other people succeed. And so that's why I started taking on clients that wanted to get into it. So because I had to jump into it with zero knowledge and other people are doing it the same way. And if I can show them the shortcuts that I learned along the way and help them get to where they want to be faster than I got there, uh, that makes me feel good. Right. And so it's kind of self-serving uh, in my coaching. Yes, they pay me. They pay me a, a pretty good bit of money to coach them. But, uh, the coaching aspect is very independent of the perimeter. It's very independent of rugged legacy. That's just, you're talking to Jeff, right? And Jeff's going to help you with your business and your marketing and this and that and the other. Um, rugged legacy feeds on its own now because my, my evolved content that I call it with the perimeter and the two books, it is, 
it's controversial. A lot of people don't like the points of view that I take on a lot of things. Um, one of those being, uh, I'm a big proponent of tribalism, and but but not very much in the in the sense of whether it be race based, ethnic based, um, geographical proximity based, things like that. It's more of a a value based tribe. The people that share my values that seek uh, to be better men, good fathers, lead their families, and inspire and mentor other men to do the same. Those guys are my tribe, right? The ones who are out there um, doing good versus the one that are trying to bring about this moral ambiguity that seems to be plaguing every facet of society today, you know, um, but people always say, you know, tribalism gets a bad rap because it's rooted in whatever ism or phobe or the other. Uh, and then there's the identity politics that goes into everything, which I don't identify with any politics. You know, if it's wrong, it's wrong. I'd, I'd narrow things down into noble and ignoble. But there's a lot of people out there who are very um, one dimensionally uh, set in their way of thinking. You know, you have to be a leftist or a rightist. I can't stand leftists or rightists. <laughs> um, so I don't want that involved with Rugged Legacy. And that's fine. Rugged Legacy does fine on its own without me having to say or do anything with it. But with the media storm that I'm trying to create as far as the content media with the books, the blog, the podcast. I'm more interested in creating a cultural movement, uh, kind of a renaissance of the way men carry themselves and present themselves and see themselves versus the, uh, the defamation of masculinity and men in general and traditional family values uh, that you see uh, be just being pushed every time you turn on the phone or the TV or the radio. Um, I would much rather shift people's way of thinking than get a huge paycheck. If that makes any sense, I can go get another job. I'm the kind of guy that digging ditches sounds like fun. Okay. I, I'm not worried about it. If I get paid for my work. Awesome. Yeah. I love it when people buy my books, uh, but I have my books on KDP Unlimited, which means you can read it for free if you're an Amazon Prime member. I get paid half a cent for every page someone reads. But if they can read that and they become inspired to work on themselves and start embodying these exemplary and uh, paradigm-based values of what men used to aspire to with a more pure idealism rather than the hedonistic and nihilistic uh, cycle that everyone seems to be on, then that means more to me than someone says, Hey, you hit a bestseller spot. Mm -hmm. And so the income is great. Um, but I, I coach to maintain my, my income. This other stuff is more of a passion. Mm -hmm. When did you branch off or add on the, the coaching side? Um, cause a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, Pricing and program and product creation is tough. They they undercharge. Uh, they leave money on the table. You know they don't create those multiple streams of income. You know how how did that come about? 
I think it happened by accident. Someone sent me a um, a DM on Twitter. Hey, um, could I pick your brain on? And that's always the question, right? Can I pick your brain? It's always the one. Uh, can I pick your brain about this? I want to start this. I want to start that. Uh, and I know you've done this and that and the other. Uh, mind if I pick your brain? I'll compensate you for your time. You mean people would pay to talk to me? Oh, okay, cool. And it just went from there. And I think I was charging like 150 bucks a month to these people. Cause I mean, I was still in the, you know, nobody online has that kind of money. You know, they're not going to want to pay a whole lot of money to talk to me. And so I, I had a whole lot of say 150 bucks for like a 30 minute call or something. <laughs> no, no. Now it's like, now if you want to talk to me for an hour, that's a $300 minimum. Right. Okay, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. And now I have, uh, you know, clients that pay me in anywhere between $2,500 uh, to $5,000 for eight to 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. But back then, you know, I was still in that nine to five mindset, you know, it was, I just need enough to pay my bills. And now I'm, I'm like, I could get so much more because there's people out there that really want to pay, uh, for knowledge. Yeah. And I was undervaluing what I had, uh, learned as I went much more than I thought I was for sure. Everybody undervalues, right? And, and well, it, it's hard, right? Because you you think if you because st- self promotion alone is cringe until you get used to it. <laughs> yes. And, and now I'm like, everybody, look at me, you know. But before, it's like I I wasn't even the kind of guy that took a picture of himself, like you know, selfie. I was never that guy. I was like, what kind of dude takes selfies? And now I'm taking selfies and videos of, you know, I'm doing all these cool stuff in the gym or whatever, putting it on Instagram or uh, hanging out with, with really cool people that everybody's like, Hey, you know, that guy doing all that, taking pictures and stuff with them. And it's still in the back of my mind that you're like a selfie chick, right? It's hard. But then I've got the, the circle lights and the, the tripods and the filters and all this. I'm like, yeah, but I got to make it look good. So it, it's just a really look, big man. adjustment. Hey, you have a very nice beard, right? So you, it, it, it's selfie worthy. Yeah. That's what people say. Um, so I said, I'll just go with it. Yeah. I'm not going to undermine that. I'm not going to uh, undermine your compliment there. I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> but it's really weird with the self-promotion thing. Yes. And then, and then you try to say, well, I'm worth X amount of money for X amount of work. Yeah. And when you've been told, well, you're only going to make $25 an hour for, you know, 40 hours a week, you think that's where you're valued at. Right. And you're not. Right. You know, uh, value is completely subjective to the person who wants it. Well, Somebody would think a call with me is not worth 300 bucks. And I've had people that have a one hour call with me that says, I should have paid you three grand for that call. Yeah. Well, I can send you another invoice if you want. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, what's the ROI, right? If I need my lawn mowed, I don't care if it's Mark Cuban that shows up. It's, you know, I'm not paying three grand. It's a small yard. I can do it myself. I just don't want to. So, right. but that's not the, you know, like real estate, right? The best and highest use, you know, Mark Cuban 
doesn't need to be mowing lawns, right? So your coaching, if you help, if you give me an idea, if you inspire me and I go launch a million dollar business, then maybe it was only 30 minutes and it was worth three grand. You know, we have to charge according to the value that we help create in the minds, uh, in, in the hearts and minds of our customers, right? But if we don't charge, I just, I just stop giving free advice because it, it just, oh, yeah. it's just a waste of breath. Nobody benefits. No, uh, free and- advice is a plague, man. I get people ask me all the time um, for advice. Well, I used to. Now I just ignore these people. Yep. But they would ask for advice, and I give them very valuable, very actionable advice, and then they would not take it. Yeah. And I started referring to those people as assholes. <laughs> And I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, cause, because no one values anything for free. Yep. They didn't have to invest anything of themselves. But my clients, one of my clients, 24 hours after our first call, landed his first gig as a freelance project manager, making 400 UK pounds a day. That's 15 grand a month. Mm-hmm. That was his first gig, 24, less than 24 hours after our first call. Mm-hmm. You ask him and he'll tell you that I undercharged him. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's based on the value and people ha- are willing to put skin in the game and what it nets them on their return of investment. Yep. Amen. Very nice, man. So uh, you got another book coming. Uh, you've got coaching. You've got, uh, I'm linking out to your, your website. Um, and it's Jeff Putnam author.com, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, linking to that, linking to your rugged legacy. Uh, when, when will the, the third book be out? That I don't know. Um, is it more of a, I don't, like almost a memoir in a way, or it's just, it's just deeper. Is that no longer. This, this one is deeper. Uh, Empire divided. Uh, a modern man's path back to his tribe. It lays out nine noble virtues uh, of masculinity. And in it, I painted within each chapter, um, I painted a contrast between uh, postmodernism and that virtue and the transmogrification of those virtues where now everything is courageous when it isn't, everything is brave when it isn't, you know, um, heroes are not your masked up grocery baggers. You know, those are not heroes. They haven't done anything heroic because they went to work. Um, and it was a breaking down of what, what modern man's ancestors would be ashamed if they saw their descendants doing today. And while I don't think, and I, and I say this in the book, while I don't think that there's any reason whatsoever to go back, you know, people always say, oh, I wish I could go back to live in, you know, X decade or X century. I, I like plumbing and running water and electricity. I like those things. I don't want to go back there. Right. But instead of trying to go back to an older world, I think as men, we can create a new world that we want to see. And so that was the idea behind uh, Empire Divided, because I look at modern society as one global empire. 
with a bunch of small factions that are always trying to fight and kill each other while being told that you're supposed to love and accept and tolerate and whatever each other. And it's physically and humanly and biologically impossible. Right. And it's also dangerous. You don't, you're not going to, you shouldn't tolerate or accept people that want to destroy you. I mean, don't give money to people you hate. Don't invite people that want to destroy your way of life into your home. Don't treat them with kindness. You can treat them with disregard. You don't have to hate them because that's not the same thing. You, know, you can treat them with disregard and focus on building up your tribe, your people, the people that share your values and, the, and your beliefs and that believe that the pursuit of ideals and paradigms is still worth it, even though you can't ever achieve perfection. Just because you're not going to be the greatest doesn't mean you shouldn't strive for greatness. Those kind of people are the ones that are, you know, I, I call my tribe. And that was the whole entire idea behind, like I said, Empire Divided. The perimeter that just came out is a follow-up to that where it dives deeper into the more human psychology side of it. Um, it's not so much... Uh, a self-righteous indignation rant <laughs> as empire divided sounds when you read through it. Um, the perimeter dives a little more deeper into explaining why we feel the way we feel when we deny what we are on a biological level as men. When we try to deny that we're tribal. When we try to deny that, you know, violence is good. When we try to deny to deny that uh, caring about other people more than you care about these people over here is not a radical idea. It's a natural idea. You care more about your family than you care about me. I take that to a grander scale. I care more about the people of my tribe than I care about the people who are not in my tribe. And everyone does that. They just don't pay attention uh, because it, it doesn't sound nice. And altruism is this, uh, you know, we're the age of the, the virtue signaling, right? Oh, I, I started a nonprofit for this uh, indigene tribe in the Amazon so they can get iPhones. They don't have electricity, but because they're, <laughs> you know, because they're so cut off, it makes you feel better that you're trying to give them something that they don't need. And the more exotic or the more disenfranchised or the more, uh, perceived oppression you see them having, the more virtuous it makes you. I don't care about those people. I can't see those people. Those people don't affect my life. Does that make me a bad person? There is a level of uh, morality that's called into question. Am I immoral because I don't care about what's happening to some people in some country that I'm never going to meet or never going to go to? No, it makes me human. Yeah, but saying that alone makes people think that you're a bad person. And that is the perimeter. This new one is, it's, it's a follow-up, but it can also act as a standalone. And I wanted to make this a three-book series. And I'm focused now on the more personal and internal side of everything rather than the external um, that, is empire divided and the perimeter because the idea of the perimeter was that with your tribe you build that you know that campfire right and your tribe gathers around it that's your 
that that campfire is your values and your home your home base right well that fire casts a little ring of light and everything within that ring of light is safe and is brought to order and it's lit up and everybody there can feel that warmth it's when you branch out beyond that perimeter outside that ring into the darkness where there's chaos there's people whose values want to destroy you there's people out there wandering in the dark looking for a tribe there's people out there who are one podcast one blog one phone call one tweet one post away from changing their life and becoming what they were always meant to be that you can bring them into your perimeter and grow and strengthen your tribe. You can venture out into that darkness and you can create new outposts, build new fires to light up that darkness out there. But it takes a certain mentality and a certain personal philosophy to be able to really see what that's worth. And that's what I'm going into with uh, book three which is focusing on life artistry. And I first came across life artistry a few years ago when I was going through this phase of reading really weird books. Um, and I read this little obscure novel by uh, Chuck Palahniuk and he wrote Fight Club. And one, of, and one of the things he said in that was, your life is just a story. And when you realize that you don't like the story that you're writing, you can tear it up and start a new one. And that sounds great. And I followed that idea for years. But in reality, it's not really a story. It's a painting. You know, you can write all those pages, but you can't tear them up in life. You can wipe them out, but those words are still on the page. And it's like a and, and man and life is much like a painting. There's more and more applications that add layers and thickness and texture and depth and feeling. But everything that was there first is still buried under there. And it makes the masterpiece at the end beautiful. It makes it, you know, an actual masterpiece rather than how we see these modern artists that have all forgotten how to work with layers and they try to finish the piece with one big thick layer and it looks flat and less lively. And that's how men are today. They're flat. They're less lively. They're, they're plunged in this deep malaise uh, because they're living a life that their heart tells them isn't the life they should be living. You know, they're, they're chained to a phone and a couch and they're miserable and they've lost that thumos, that Greek fire of life within them. Because they're told, oh, you're good enough to just skate by, pay your bills, and and forget about what makes you a man. And that's heartbreaking. And I want to inspire as many men as I can out there to become more of what they are. Um, you know, people always fuss about, you know, toxic masculinity or toxic femininity. I don't believe in either of those things. We as men are not born inherently masculine. And women are not born inherently feminine. We're, we're, we're upright monkeys, right? We just do what we do. You know, fostering masculinity in young men and fostering femininity in young women is making them more than just mere humans. It's 
a lofty goal to try to embody this this paradigm that sits up there that you'll never fully get to. But the journey on the way there is what adds those layers and the depth and the feeling. So at the end of the, when you run out of time, you have a masterpiece painted on this canvas. And that's, it's a lot deeper <laughs> that I could really go into for another nine hours. Um, but I'd rather do that on the page than <laughs> have a nine hour episode. Yeah. Very cool. That's good stuff, man. It's, um, you know, as you know, it's needed. Um, you know, the old adage is it doesn't matter what the truth is. If you get people asking the wrong questions. You know, I don't think I've ever heard that, but I really like it. Everybody's asking the wrong questions. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about, you know, the devil's smart. He doesn't just give you right and wrong. He gives you two wrongs. Then everybody's fighting about, you know, the lesser of two evils. I'm going to vote for Biden. I'm going to vote for Trump. What's the le- yeah, he's not perfect, but he's the lesser of two evils. So everybody's defending the lesser of two evils instead of like, well, what's ideal? What is not evil? Can we get a candidate that is not evil? You know, and it just applies to everything. It's like, take a step back. Like, are we fighting over things that just don't matter? And everybody's just spooled up and worn out. And then, you know, the military, I always tell people this. They're always surprised. Like, the purpose of the military, the goal is not to destroy the enemy. It is to take away his will to fight. So if that requires me destroying you, okay, I'll destroy you. But maybe I just have to blow up some bridges and cut off your water and just put you under siege and then you surrender. Okay, good. I get to go home now. You've surrendered. We had our way. Sign this peace treaty. I'm going back home. You know, people don't realize that. So whatever, all the food, the chemicals, the 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 numbing, I call it pot porn and playoffs. You know, we're just we're just numbed. And we've taken away, it's taken away our will to fight. So you just take whatever comes down the pike and it's like, no, stop accepting that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, what was it? Bread and circuses, right? Bread and circus. They took away, because men need to fight each other. I mean, you're wearing a jujitsu suit. I mean, a uh, shirt for Christ's sake, man. You get out there and you roll, right? And it right feeds, <laughs> and it feeds something in you, correct? Yeah. Well, you've got these guys that are sitting on the couch because they've forgotten about their brothers. They've forgotten about their tribes because they've been told that, uh, well, you're hanging out with a bunch of dudes. That gets looked at negatively like it's some kind of bromance or it's homosexual or whatever. No, I love my friends. Like I tell my guy friends all the time I love them because I do love them. You know, what was it? Henry V. Um, any man that would lay down his life or shed his blood with me today is my brother. And that's a bond you can't break and brotherhood is needed for men, but they, they live vicariously through the porn, through the playoffs, through the pot. They live vicariously watching other men do battle on a screen and watching other men be with other women on a screen. And that just satisfies uh, that need for just a little bit, but it's like a junkie. It, you need more, and it it gets to the point where you're watching porn and sports all day long. You know, it, you, you the fix isn't doing it for you, so you have to up the dosage. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a Band-Aid on an arterial hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. When in reality, when I started, because I was that guy, I had no male friends. I went to work. I had my friends of association that I worked with that I haven't spoken to since I left that job because we were only friends in proximity. You know, we we're here to do this one thing. So we might as well talk. Once I started making real connections with friends, everything just gets easier. Mm -hmm. And I have a tribe of brothers that I can say, Hey man, I'm having trouble or Hey man, have you ever felt like this? Hey man, let's go hiking. Let's hop on a plane and go to Florida and hang out for the weekend just to not talk to each other and fish. You know, guys need those things, but they end up sitting there because they've been lied to that being the lone wolf is cool and sexy and whatever. And they just sit there and they feel miserable and they hate their lives. And no man should ever hate his life. He has the power to create the life he wants. He just got to get out there and do it. And it's scary, but that's the whole point. You, know, you get busy living, so you forget about even dying. And like you said, they, they live vicariously through watching ritualized warfare in the form of football or MMA while sitting there scratching themselves going, man, I would have put Conor McGregor in a headlock and won. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs> right? Go out there and do something. Mm -hmm. Like I don't care if you go and play Dungeons and Dragons together. Just have a group of friends that you can rely on. Mm -hmm. We're you social creatures. We're not meant to spend it alone. And men are better men when they have other men to measure themselves against. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't do that. We, we've redefined, you know, masculinity and strength. It's like. I hate that word. Yeah. I hate the word redefined because when, when people say redefined, all they mean is act more like women. Yeah, exactly. They've, if, if you cannot hurt a fly, and you do not hurt a fly, you are not virtuous. You're just impotent. You're just impotent. You're incapable. You know, if, if you, you have the capability of destroying the world, but choose not to, then right. you're virtuous. Right. I mean, between jujitsu and I've had my CCW for nine years, the average room I walk into I can kill everybody in that room, <laughs> but I don't, you know, so am I weird? Am I violent? Am I, you know, am I a sociopath for having the ability or are you weak, you know, for not having the ability for placing your trust and your livelihood and your family's well-being in the hands of someone else that you hope just isn't having a bad day? You know, it's like, mm -mm. And that's part of uh, what I covered in the perimeter. Uh, you know, there, you know, Nietzsche talked about two different types of morality. He talked about master morality and slave morality. Now, those are not indicated in the way that most Americans would think of masters and slave, right? Slave, men, slave morality is utilitarian morality. Well, if it's good for absolutely everyone, which nothing is good for everyone all the time, if something's good for someone, it's going to inevitably, inevitably be bad for someone else. 
well, then it is good, according to uh, Nietzsche's description of slave morality. And master morality is, if it's good for me and it's good for my people, then it is good. If it is bad for me and bad for my people, then it is bad. Slave morality pushes the guilt and the shame onto those who say, well, it's good for me, so it's good. If I win the lottery, that's good for me. It didn't do anything for anyone else, but it's still good for me. But the ones who say, well, you want all that money, but you should just give it to everyone else to help everyone else. That is the slave morality. That is the utilitarian. Well, it's, it has to be good for everyone or, or it's just bad. And now, you know, you you being able to defend yourself because you have a gun, you being able to defend yourself because you've trained jujitsu for X amount of years. Well, you could potentially hurt everyone. So your strength and your skill and your mastery of a firearm are all bad because they don't benefit me if you get upset or you have a bad day. It takes away my power to be completely and feel completely safe around you. So I'm going to guilt you and tell you that you being strong, you carrying a gun, you being able to defend or attack as needed is bad because it might eventually hurt me if I'm on the wrong side of you. Well, no, you're not going to be on the wrong side of me. Just leave me the hell alone. <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I don't, I don't lift weights so I can be, I don't train, you know, boxing or whatever to, to, to beat other people up. I do it to make me better. But because it's not beneficial to someone else, because it's like the, the, the body shaming, right? Oh, you're going to the gym. So you promote fat, uh, fat shaming. No, I, promote fit lifestyles i'm not against fat people i just don't want to be fat i'm not against weak people i just don't want to be weak but the whole social justice idea is that of slave morality where instead of rising to the level of those stronger or more successful or whatever than you you manipulate their morality to start seeing the things that they have accomplished as bad and negative to bring them down to your level. Social justice isn't about raising up the oppressed or the disenfranchised. Social justice is about bringing all of this successful and fit and strong down to the level of the oppressed. So everyone is equally screwed. Mm -hmm. And that's what you saw with the, uh, the, the fall of the Roman Empire, when those, the master class, were convinced that they were inherently wrong, they started shifting their morality and shifting their standards and lowering them to where the weak came to power because they held these quote-unquote moral high ground and there was no morality there it was well everything is permitted debauchery and that except for the things that i disagree with and it was all about this revenge-based thing to get back at those who were always richer than them who always had more power and more authority than them 
it was like a a vengeance against those that have always been more successful to them. And then they ate themselves at the top because it's just like you see on the left now with, oh, well, you're not woke enough. Or, or we're all on the same side. We're on the left, and now the left is eating each other. We're all on the same side on the right, and now the right is eating each other because of one arbitrary difference of opinion on something. That happened, and you see an entire empire crumbles because it became divided. You know, the pigs within will destroy you sooner than the sharks without. Yeah, I would much rather get stronger uh, to or as strong as I can to match those that are stronger than me or as close to those that are uh, stronger than me than spend all my time trying to weaken them down to my level. Yeah. But that's the opposite of what social justice is. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right, man. You got me thinking. I got, I got to go I get apologize. a pipe. I got to get a pipe. Start Peterson writing. of Dublin is where you go, man. Where's that? Peterson of Dublin is the best pipe uh, brand that I've ever owned. Peterson of Dublin. Mm-hmm. They're all handmade, too. Uh, you know, well, Father's Day is coming up, so I'll send this to my kids real quick. <laughs> Have them get you a church warden model. That's the one with the really long uh, stem, right? And so you look like Gandalf. <laughs> I got to grow the beard, though. That, so I mean, get on it. Just stop shaving. It's that'll be my one-year anniversary to get the, the Gandalf pipe. Yeah, just match the beard. It's not hard to grow a beard. Just stop shaving. Oh, it's not. I mean, I, I shave about once a week. So I'm already almost practically there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> All right, man. Well, speaking of jujitsu, that's where I'm headed. Um, we are linking to you. I'll include links uh, on the, on the blog post here, but Jeff Putnam They can find you there here. You uh, link to you all of your pontifications, your books, your podcasts, your products, uh, your coaching, so uh, man, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you having me on, man. It was awesome. Well, you know what? Go sell something, all right? <laughs> I can sell ideas. We're good. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks for coming to the show, dude. Have a great day. You as well, brother. This guy is writing books. He is tweeting. He has a nice beard. He's doing ice baths. Got a nice pipe. Um and he's teaching himself how to get all this done. Uh, so look, lean into this, okay? Get a little grit. Develop some intestinal fortitude. Um, I was reading the story of, of Sarah Blakely just last night. And I kind of knew the story, but just seeing some more of the details, you know, she was grinding away, uh, trying to find somebody to build the Spanx brand for her, you know? And just call after call, she took time off and, and drove through, you know, North Carolina, through these uh, manufacturing facilities, textile facilities. Uh, and, and a guy called her back because he had daughters. He bounced the ideas off of them, and they were like, yes, she's a billionaire. So, look, don't dabble. Become fanatic, okay? Dive into this. Whatever it is you want to do, get after it. Uh, man, because life sure is too short. 
Uh, I'm reminded of this every day. Children are growing up. Uh, my aunt just died last month or this month um, in May. Um, the youngest of my dad's three sisters. You know, it's uh, life comes at you fast. Okay, so get after it. And there's no excuse. You've got you've got Google, got YouTube. Uh, good grief! You could you could become a brain surgeon for free. You know, from all the content that's out there. I'm I constantly have multiple books from the library. Uh, man, I've used and abused our library. It's been fantastic. On top of the books that I buy, on top of the books that I'm given uh, by people that want to be on the show. Get busy. Quit dabbling. Okay. Um, use Jeff's um, story as your inspiration. Um, the sky really is the limit. All right. Get after it. Thanks for listening. I'll go sell something. <laughs>